Good morning. Wow. You guys, uh, you guys bless my heart. I know you bless my mom's heart, my sister, and the rest of the family. To show your love uh, and respect, your friendship, your brotherhood to my father. So thank you. My heart is blessed beyond expression. I begin this morning with a confession. I don't really know what I'm doing. I've never done this before. I've never preached a funeral service. And I've counted at least six men here this morning who could do a far better job than me. Several times yesterday, I just wanted to call Dale or Wyman and just, get, just throw the ball to them. I wanted to do it more than anything. But ultimately, I could not not do this. I could not not do it. And if the tears of grief and love and joy spill out today, I pray that you will bear with me. Because principally they are tears of love, tears of joy. And yes, we grieve, but not as one without hope. God has put it deep in my heart this morning to honor my Heavenly Father and to honor my earthly father. So this may be the worst funeral sermon you have ever heard, but that's okay with me. I had to do this for my dad. God has called me to it, and it is my great joy and honor and privilege to speak here today for my dad. From the core of my being, I need to talk to you about the deity and the beauty and the excellence and sufficiency of my God and Lord, my Father's Lord, Jesus Christ. And from the core of my being, I need to stand here before you and love and honor my dad. So, I am obviously not the best man for the job, but I could not, not stand before you. After much reflection and prayer, it seemed good to me to seek to say or accomplish three things this morning. One, just to share some personal comments about my dad. Two, to worship our Lord Jesus Christ. And three, to rejoice in my dad's home-going so, while there are many memories I could share with you about my father, just three. When I was a boy, I remember thinking, my dad's the coolest dad in the world. He was the head football coach of North Little Rock Senior High School. And he used to let me go to practice, and he'd let me play with all the balls and he'd let me play with the dummies. And he, he used to let me go into the, into the dressing room before the games. I used to get to hang out with all these really big guys. And they would always pat me on the head and say nice things. 
I remember, you know, those coaches, I don't know if the coaches still do this, but they, he used to have this huge ring of keys on his belt. And any door I wanted him to open, he could open. He could get me into the gym to jump on the trampoline. He could get me into the gym to play basketball. It seemed as if dad could unlock any door in the universe. He was the coolest dad in the world. When I became a man, I remember thinking my dad is one of the godliest men I know. The Lord saved me at the age of 28 sitting in Betty Albright's Sunday school class. The Lord saved me sitting there, and I want to interject. Mom, thank you for being my teacher for many years. Thank you to you and Dad both for, for pointing Debbie and I to the living God. Several years later, after my conversion, the church asked me to be a deacon, and I'll never forget the night when I was ordained, and my dad laid his hands on me, and he prayed for me that I would be a godly man, that I'd be a courageous man, a man of faith. I love serving the Lord alongside my dad. Five weeks ago, I remember thinking my dad is one of the most spirit-filled men I've ever known. As I sat in the nursing home with him and in the doctor's offices and in the hospital, as I watched him, I was so proud to be his son. In his trial, in his pain, in his suffering, he was teaching me what I had always known. That I'm not near the man he is. As I watched him interact with the health care providers, I saw how naturally the fruit of the Spirit flowed through this man. And how he was gracious and kind and humble and thankful to everyone who attended him. In all, in all honesty, I must confess that I thought flying home to sit with my dad would be tedious and unpleasant. But I can tell you, it was one of the greatest privileges God has ever afforded me. I've heard many of you say wonderful things about my dad. I wish I could recount them all. But I heard Esther Crawford say something the other day that really struck a chord with me. And I know it's true. It's been my experience as his son. She said, you know, whenever Jim Albright's name is mentioned, people always have a good word to say. What a legacy and an inheritance I have to have such a father.
Secondly, today, it seemed good to me that, that we must remember who our God is, that He is the living God, that He is the Redeemer. God, real Christians know what to do when we must cry and when we must grieve. We understand that reflexive reaction. We understand Job's response. We understand that we must worship we must worship this great God, this awesome creator, redeemer God. We must worship. And so this morning, I want to spend just a moment to remember the great sovereign Lord God of heaven and earth, Jesus Christ. I want us to think about him and worship. He is the awesome, fearsome, consuming fire God of scripture and he is unapologetically clear he is God and nobody else is the sovereign God says through his prophet Isaiah and just bear with me and listen to the many things God says about himself through the prophet Isaiah and I love it when my heavenly father speaks like this he says to whom then will you liken me that I should be his equal I am God and there is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act and who can reverse it? I am the Lord and there is no other besides me. There is no God. Before me there was no God and there will be none after me. There is no Savior besides me. I am God and there is no one like me. The nations are nothing before me. I sit above the vault of the earth. I am the everlasting God. There is no other. I am the first and I am the last. There is no one like me. I declare the end from the beginning. My purpose will be established. I will accomplish all my good pleasure. He is the eternal, uncreated creator God. He is the God of infinite power. He is the God who effortlessly spoke 400 billion galaxies into existence. He is the God who upholds those galaxies by the word of his power at Mount Sinai. He came down, this awesome God came down, and the scripture tells us that there was lightning and thunder and blazing fire and darkness and gloom and thick smoke engulfed the quaking mountain as awesome God came down and Moses and the people were full of fear and trembling. Daniel, Isaiah, and John were granted a vision of the Lord on his throne. The scripture tells us, Daniel says, his throne was ablaze with flames and a river of fire was flowing out before the Lord. And thousands upon thousands were attending him. And myriads upon myriads were standing before him. Isaiah tells us, The Lord was high and lifted up on his throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And the seraphim called out to one another saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. John tells us that his eyes were like a flame of fire. His voice was like the sound of many waters. His face was like the sun shining in its strength. Scripture tells us 
that kings and great men of the earth will cry out to the mountains that the mountains would fall on them and hide them from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Our God is, as the song says, indescribable, uncontainable, incomparable, and untamable, unbelievably, unbelievably. And I tell my people, for those of you that don't know, I'm a preacher, and I tell my people all the time, if God were not telling me these things, I would never believe them. That it's this great God, this great God, this awesome, fearsome God who is in the womb of Mary. It's this great God who is lying in the manger. I would never believe it. If it were not God himself telling me this. From his word, I love how Charles Spurgeon sought to grasp the infinite condescension of Jesus Christ. He says, infinite yet infant, eternal yet born, almighty yet suckled, upholding a universe yet lying in a manger. This awesome God, this awesome, fearsome, consuming fire God, he is the one who is scourged. He is the one who is nailed to a tree. He is the one who died for his people. The great warrior shepherd has come to lay his life down for his people. He's my father's God. And he has utterly saved my dad and all who believe. Jesus said, no man takes my life, but I lay it down. For my sheep. He's the uncontainable God. Death could not hold him. Amen. Death could not hold him. Our incarnate, crucified, buried, resurrected, ascended, reigning, returning God has saved my father from his sins. He has saved my father from death. He has saved my father from judgment. He has saved my father from hell. I praise this great God. Beloved, who is a God like this? Who is a God like ours? A warrior God who dies for his people. What God loves and saves his people like this? There is no God like this. Jesus Christ has defeated death. He has conquered the grave. And on this day I must shout, Oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Our great Savior, Jesus says, I, even I, am a saving God. No one saves his people like he does. No doubt. There are some here today, maybe many here today, who do not know Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is very clear. There will be many who are deceived about this. 
Many who profess to be Christians will not enter the kingdom of God. Jesus says, many will call him Lord and come before him with their religious resumes. And Jesus will say to them, I do not know you. Salvation is not in religion. It is not in denominations. It is not in ordinances. It is not in sacraments. It is not in prayers. It is not in doctrinal orthodoxy. It is not in church membership. It is not in church attendance or good work. Good works. It is only in Christ. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Ultimately, we understand by the very words of Jesus that real Christianity is relational. Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they may know thee. And Jesus Christ, whom thou has sent. I know it would please my dad to ask you, do you know Christ this morning? Or have you been merely religious with him? Friend, death is coming for you. Death is coming for you. And God reminds us in his word that we are just vapors that appear for a little while. And then we vanish away. When the police came Friday night to begin the process of officially recording dad's death, I I noticed as they called the coroner, they kept using the phrase expected death. This is an expected death. And I thought to myself, what death is not expected? There's no such thing as an unexpected death. Death is coming for each of us. I knew what they were communicating. But we understand as Bible believers that in the ultimate sense, there's no such thing as an unexpected death. The Bible is clear. God is sovereign in the giving and taking of life. This is his divine prerogative. The Bible tells us that he has numbered and ordained our days. So death is coming for you, friend, and for me. And you and I will soon stand before Jesus Christ and He will either be your Savior or He will be your judge. You will either spend eternity with Him or you will spend eternity in hell. This is the clear teaching of Scripture. I know it would please my dad to exhort you, as Paul exhorted the Corinthians, test yourself, examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. If you do not know and love and walk with Jesus Christ this morning, I exhort you to repent of your sin and your unbelief. I exhort you to run to the cross. Lastly, Real Christians understand <laughs> that to die is infinite gain. To die is infinite gain. Real Christians understand what Paul is saying when he says to live is Christ and to die is gain. We get that. We get that. We weep. We lose proximity to dad, but we will see him again. 
we will see him again. Weeping may last for the night, but the shout of joy comes in the morning. We get it when Paul says, I'm hard-pressed. I'm hard-pressed in both directions. I'm hard-pressed. It's very much better to be with Jesus. Amen? And it's very much better for my dad. It's very much better for my dad today. He's with Jesus Christ. It takes my breath away when I contemplate this, when I think deeply about it, when I meditate on it. It takes my breath away that my Father is in His presence and my Father is gazing upon His beautiful face. Right now, my dad is seeing Jesus. And it blesses my heart. And I can't wait, in one sense, to go join him there. I can only imagine, right? You know the song, is dad dancing before Jesus? Or in awe, is he still? Is dad standing in his presence or to his knees? Has he fallen? Is dad singing hallelujah or is he able to speak at all? I can only imagine. I can only imagine. Yeah, that's what the tie is about. I see I got some other brothers that got the tie on. This is, I'm not making a fashion statement this morning. This is a theological statement. I'm wearing this black suit for you because I know it's culturally proper. I wear it for you. I wear the tie for Dad. Because unless I misunderstand Matthew 13, he is right now shining like the sun, reflecting the beauty of Christ, the glory and beauty of King Jesus. You know, I've been telling people that Dad had a good life, and it's true. And I... I want to interject before I forget. I want to tell you what a privilege it was to watch my mother love my dad. How she loved him so well to the end. It's a cherished memory of mine that I got to witness it and see how she loved my dad. Yeah, I've been telling people dad had a good life, but Friday night at 10.30, it got infinitely better. It got infinitely better. I love how D.L. Moody said it. He said, one day you're going to pick up the paper and read that I'm dead. He said, don't you believe it. He said, I will be more alive at that moment than I have ever been. And those you have greeted, those of you who have greeted me this morning, I continue to tell you, and I thank you for your condolences. But I rejoice. I rejoice. My awesome God saved my dad. He saved my dad. Dad's not lying in the box. Right now, he's looking at Christ. And he's drinking in all the beauty 
all the majesty, all the glory, all the splendor. Jesus Christ is my dad's reward. And Jesus Christ will fill his heart to overflowing for a billion eternities. Dad has received, only begun to receive, his reward. I don't often quote Peter Pan. But he nailed it, at least as it relates to born-again lovers of Jesus. Peter Pan said, To die would be an awfully big adventure. Dad's big adventure has just begun. He has only just begun to taste and understand David's words of praise to God. In thy presence is the fullness of joy. In thy light, pardon me, in thy right hand are pleasures forever. King Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose, for whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren, and whom He predestined, these He also called, and whom He called, these He also justified, and whom He justified, these, are, these He also glorified. What shall we say uh, to these things if God is for us? Who is against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is He who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God and also intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Dad, we love you, and we will see you soon. 
Let's pray together. Awesome, beautiful God. Creator God. Incarnate God. Crucified God. Buried God. Ascended God. Reigning God. We praise you. With all our hearts, we praise you. We are in awe how you have loved us. It is inexpressible. It is unfathomable. How you have loved us. We thank you, God, that you're a great warrior. We thank you, God, that you are a tender shepherd. We thank you, great God, that you have utterly and completely and eternally saved your people. We grieve today. We have lost proximity to a loved one, but we have not lost him. Ultimately, he is now with you and we rejoice for him. We rejoice for that reality and we rejoice for the reality for all of us who are in Christ that we will be with you soon. I will see my dad again and we will love you and worship you together. Thank you, great God, that you make this possible. No religion can do this, but you have done it. You have done it. We love you, Lord. We love you. Give us the strength and the wisdom and the discernment to walk in these next days. Fill us with your spirit. Overwhelm us with your presence and your love. Thank you for my mom. Thank you for the great gift I've had. A godly mother and a godly father. I am so thankful. We praise you, Lord Jesus. Amen. This concludes our service. Excuse me. If anyone has a brief word they'd like to say about Dad, we've got a few minutes. Anyone?